Great song, wasn't it? You guys are doing a good job singing too. Appreciate that. I know the Lord does. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter five. We'll be in Hebrews chapter five again. Actually, the scripture for today is chapter six, verses four through eight, but we're gonna go back and catch up from where we were last week. So we'll start reading at chapter five, verse 11. So I just wanna thank Jake last week for uh, speaking to the congregation and preaching and uh, I couldn't wait so Sunday afternoon I drove back up here and got the videotape and I had to put it on the internet anyway but I wanted to see Jake and did a fantastic job so that is very much worth going back to it's on the internet it's on our uh, website if you want to go back there and check that out but he did a great job of talking about the sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, how they were fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. And I don't know whether he planned it or not, but it really fits in well with what we're doing in the book of Hebrews and, and, and what we will be coming up in the book of Hebrews as well. So thanks to Jake for doing that. Thanks, Tony, for taking over and kind of fulfilling the spot up here. And Dave is always a big help. Casey, Bill, appreciate all of you who take part in the service. And continues right along without me. Just fine, right? <laughs> so that's good. That's good. So uh, a couple of years ago, it's been several years ago now, I was involved with the men's group there at First Baptist Church in Mount Carmel. And we do, from time to time, we do special projects, kind of like our men do here. I mean, we've done work for Jimmy and Della and for uh, Glenn and Glenda. Uh, at various times and, and other people. And so we were on one of those projects and the guy's house, his name was Dave, and he, he was a character, he was in my Sunday school, he, he was just a character as well. But anyway, we're replacing roofing on his house. And he had one of those houses that is not, like my house I think is what they call 412 slope, it's relatively flat. His was more steep than that. And we didn't know it at the time, but it also had about four or five layers of shingles on it. So we get up there, and by the time I get there, they already have these boards. I can't remember what the boards are called, but they're used for you to stand on because the roof is a little bit too steep. So we're up there, and we get up there and standing on the, on the boards, and I'm on the board with David, and it's like a one-by-six board, you know, that we're standing on. No one felt very comfortable about this at all. The, the, the walls were high too. I mean, it wasn't like your eight foot, you know, walled house. It was higher than that, it was like 12 foot. So me and Dave are up there and we're getting some work done and all of a sudden I feel his end slip, the board he's standing on. And for a moment I thought it's gonna be okay. <laughs> but you know that feeling you get when you're slipping and, and you can't help it? He continues to slip and he falls off of the roof lands onto the shingles down below and somehow the board stayed where it was at and I was able to get to a ladder and there's other people there as well but we get down there and Dave is not a light guy he's he's a pretty heavy guy uh, heavier than what I am and uh, first thing we do you know Dave how are you doing I'm fine I'm fine he gets up continues on working you know and we're just amazed at the fact that he was able to do that I've watched movies before. I watched one recently where uh, 
the couple, their plane crashes in the mountains. One of them wants to walk out. The other one doesn't want to walk out. They're stranded. And so he begins to walk out and he gets to this ledge and you know what's going to happen when he gets to that ledge. The snow's going to just fall away from him and it, it does and he falls down this steep slope. He can't get his footing. He can't get a grab on anything and finally just before he goes over the cliff he hits some rocks and he stopped. But that feeling of falling away or backsliding is kind of that feeling I think we should get when we read this scripture today. And the book of Hebrews as you know and hopefully you will come to know is a very encouraging book. But it's also a book that has several different places where there are warning passages about how we are to live the Christian life and what we are not supposed to do. We're not supposed to drift away. We're not supposed to, uh, you know, we're supposed to keep our eyes on the ball, so to speak, keep our eyes on Jesus because he's better, right? That's the whole thing about the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. He's superior. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the mighty angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the rest that Joshua offered to the people. His rest is better. We've talked about all these things already in the book of Hebrews. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. And he's also, while we're talking about it, we might as well mention he's better than the things of this world as well, right? Amen. He's better than Netflix. <gasps> he's better than your hobbies. He's better than TikTok. Anybody know what TikTok is? It's on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's on the wall. <laughs> Better than YouTube, Facebook, sports, food. He's better than anything. He can satisfy the deepest desires that we have. And yet continually, the people in the book of Hebrews were turning back to something which was not going to give them contentment at all. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, he says, don't fall away. He says, don't let yourself drift away. In other words, when you drift, you're not really paying attention to what's going on. We need to pay attention to what is going on in our spiritual lives. He says, do not neglect your salvation. Now that you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, go on in your faith. Don't neglect it, but exercise it. Kind of like you would exercise muscles. We need to exercise our faith. And he says, do not harden your hearts like they did in the desert. The people of Israel, when they got to the promised land, they sent in spies. The spies came back. Ten of them out of the twelve said, we cannot take this land. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can take the land. With the God's help, we can take the, take the land. They decided not to go in. And because of that, they wandered in disobedience and they wandered with a lack of faith for 40 years until that generation passed away. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't harden your hearts like theirs. Don't try to go back. Their tendency as Jews, we talked about this, so important to the context of this book, but their, their thinking is, I've sinned. Jesus is no longer here to offer sacrifice. I must go back to the old way of sacrificing. I must go back to the temple and offer my sacrifices. I must go back to, my, to the temple and repent of my sins. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, those days are over. Those days of the old covenant are over. You are now in the new covenant. You cannot go back. Even if you wanted to go back, you cannot go back. 
and expect those sacrifices to have any kind of effect or benefit to you. Instead, he says you need to move on. You need to protect your relationship with Jesus Christ. Not neglect it, but protect it as the most valuable thing in your life that it is. And so he says in our last message, he says go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. You've been like babies needing milk all this time. You've not been the teachers that you should be by now. You have been immature like babies. Don't stay like, stay like babies. And really, we're going to find out today that what he's saying is that even to stay in this immature state is dangerous for you. If you're not going forward in the Christian life, then you're going backwards. So don't be immature like the babies who need milk and can't stand solid food. I just thought, well, let me go out on a limb here and kind of talk about immaturity just a little bit. What, what are some signs of immaturity? And I, these are in no particular order. doesn't mean the first one's the worst one or anything, but church hopping. Church hopping can be a sign of immaturity. Now, there are reasons for leaving one church and going to another. Maybe your job takes you to another city. Maybe you find out that your church is not teaching scripturally what it should teach, though that would be a good reason for leaving that church. But sometimes people leave church just because they get bored with that church or, or possibly they have uh, some kind of uh, disagreement with somebody and rather than resolve it, it's just easier to go on to the next church. That can be a sign of immaturity. If you are weak in your attendance, weak in your attendance, that can be a sign of immaturity. We are to, we'll see in the book of Hebrews, a very famous verse, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what the writer of the book of Hebrews says there is that you're meeting this often now. You should meet even more often because the day of Christ coming back is coming near. We've got work to do, folks, right? We've got things that we need to do in love that, needs, that need to be done. And so weak attendance, lack of involvement in the church, uh, you're satisfied with just studying about the foundational teachings of Christianity, you never want to go on to higher or deeper things. And I've heard that so many times. I've heard so many, so many people say, especially when arguments about doctrinal issues come up, well, we just need to focus on Jesus and, and the gospel. Well, that's true. We, we never get away from the gospel, do we? You know, I think almost every time I preach here, I present the gospel in some form or another. We never get away from that. But we also want to move on to maturity, to th things that God wants to teach us, but he can't while we're in our immature state. That's what happened in our lesson last week, is that he said, I want to tell you more about Jesus and how he is like Melchizedek, but I can't do it because you're too immature to receive that teaching. And so... You're just satisfied with the foundational teaching. I think in every Christian, there should be an urgent urge to grow in their Christian life. And if that urgent urge is not there, 
we need to have a self-examination, right? We need to just examine ourselves, see why it's not there. Usually immature people lack assurance of salvation, so they want to hear that gospel message over time. And many people repeatedly rededicate their lives to Christ. And I'm not against someone rededicating their life. But salvation is one time forever, right? <laughs> we'll talk about that here in a little bit. It's one time forever. You should have assurance if your faith and trust are in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, someone could be immature if they take for granted their salvation or, and they end up neglecting it or letting it drift away. An immature Christian might lack discernment between right and wrong. That was in our scripture from last week. Immature Christians, they may not be good givers, but they're always ready to take. They can be prideful. And so I say protect your relationship to Jesus by going forward in the faith to maturity. Protect your relationship to Jesus by going forward in the faith to maturity. Um, does anyone in here know C.H. Spurgeon? Want I mention that name? Yeah. A good person to get to know. Preacher in England back in the 1900s. Called the Prince of Preacher. Just the fantastic uh, teachings that he's able to get. A lot of good quotes. I just got a new book uh, by means of Jim Beam, who works at a place where they publish him, and uh, got a, a book of quotes. And this quote was in there by C.H. Spurgeon. I thought it was kind of providential that it would show up this week. But listen and see of those of you who are mature Christians if this is not true. The Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. You can never stand still in the Christian life, right? If you stand still, it's like standing on ice. You're going to, you're going to be going backwards. And so the, from our message today, our scripture, we've not even read it yet, but our message today is warning, do not fall away from Jesus. Do not fall away from Jesus to anything, but especially not back to the old covenant. And so let's go ahead and read our scripture. And by now you've may got, maybe got a little bit groggy or something, and we're going to ask you to stand up and and uh, read this scripture together. We'll start in chapter 5, verse 11, and uh, then the scripture for today will be verses 4 through 8 from chapter 6. The writer says, he says, about this, which is Melchizedek and Jesus, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let us therefore leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works 
and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying one once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and often and produces a crop useful to those who say, whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these words, although they're fearful words and they're serious words. And so many times we want to experience the joy of meeting together and sometimes scriptures like this come along and it would be easy to pass over it. But this is part of our joy is that you warn us to remain true to Jesus Christ and not to turn away from him. So we pray that you would help us to listen today, to listen to your Holy Spirit and gain the meaning from this that you want us to gain and then live it out in the rest of our life. So we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, many of you are probably familiar with this passage, especially verses 4 through 8, which I just read. It has been a passage which has had much controversy throughout all of Christendom, all the way back to when this book was decided to be allowed in the Bible. It's been difficult for everyone, no matter what side of the issue you take. Generally, there are two sides to this issue. One issue, one side of the issue is that this is talking about a believer who denies Christ, turns his back on Christ, and thereby loses their salvation. That's one view. The other view, which is going to be my view, and has been my view from the first time I've studied this, is that this is referring to someone who has been in church, has seen the word of God, has heard the word of God being preached, and yet they do not continue on in the faith, and so they were never saved. And so part of the question might, that we need to ask ourselves is that some people might ask ourselves, well, who is this really written to? Is it written to a believer or is it written to unbelievers? And really what I'm going to say, it's written to all of us. This message of warning is for all of us. The important part is, is that those who are truly saved heed the warning. <laughs> so if you are a believer today in Christ, you will heed this warning. This, the context of this passage is, is, is important as well. The Jews are tempted to go back to the Old Covenant. I've, I've explained that a little bit earlier. I think they genuinely felt like they were guilty of sins they had committed. 
Jesus had risen and was in heaven. There's no way he could come back down and offer another sacrifice. And so what is their only recourse? Their only recourse is to go back to the temple and offer sacrifices. I don't think these people uh, were becoming irreligious or denying God. They were just going back to the old way. The author is telling them that Jesus is better. The author is telling them that they can't go back. That system, that covenant is now over. Jesus is a better priest than the Levitical priesthood. And the context also is that the author wants to teach them about Jesus and Melchizedek, but they were too immature to understand it. He chastises them. He, he disciplines them for not maturing in the faith as they should. That was last week. Now he warns them that their immaturity is dangerous and may cause them to fall away from the faith. Falling away, in my view, is not losing salvation, but it's an indication that they never had it to begin with. And so on your handout, I have this quote that I wrote down. It's not a quote, it's my quote. I, I wrote this, but it's how I feel about this scripture. This scripture does not teach that a person can lose their salvation, but it does affirm that the Bible teaches there are false believers within the church who have experienced many good things associated with salvation, but they were never truly saved. I think that is an accurate portrayal of what's going on here. So we're going to talk about these two sides for just a little bit. You know, someone once, once told me, uh, you know, I, I've always believed in what I would call the perseverance of the saints or eternal security. Uh, I've always believed in that because I studied it when I first became a Christian and had firm convictions about it. But someone once told me, uh, well, if someone falls away from the faith, then what you would say is that they were never saved to begin with. And at first when I heard that view, I thought, that's crazy. That's crazy. But the Bible actually talks about this group, this category of people, of teachers even, of the Christian faith who deny Christ. And the scripture specifically says that they were not of us because if they had been with us, they would have remained with us. And so we'll get into that a little bit later, but I want to talk about eternal security to begin with and why we believe that and why even though this scripture uh, gives challenges to it, that the, the doctrine of eternal security or perseverance of the saints really is true, okay? So hold on with me. The, the doctrine of eternal security historically known as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, means that once you are truly saved, you cannot lose that salvation. Once you are truly saved, you cannot lose that salvation. There may be times of doubt in your life. There may, may be times where your faith wavers. There may be times where you fall into sin, but they ultimately do not result in your damnation because ultimately you will repent of those sins and return to Christ and you will not lose your salvation. This is a key. We ultimately repent and we persevere to the end. 
So this is what our statement of faith says. And I know many people don't like statements of faith, but we have adopted one. And so I wanted to see and read that to you to get a better idea of what this doctrine of the perseverance of saints actually sounds like. So listen to this. You don't have to write it down. I think it's in your notes. All true believers endure to the end. Amen? Amen. We endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. We will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Let's read that last part. You've got it on your notes, starting with yet. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Amen? So it's not based upon us, right? Some people might say, well, you're, you're pretty, you think pretty highly of yourself if you think you can make it through this whole life without ever denying Christ and, and not losing your salvation. It's not about me. It's not about me keeping myself. It's about God keeping me. Amen. And even the book of Hebrews testifies to this very strongly. And so now I'm going to read you some verses to kind of back up what this statement of faith has just said. Hebrews 10, 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And we'll probably understand that a little bit better when we get to it. But we have been perfected for all time. We have been made righteous through the blood of Christ, those who have believed and trusted in him for all time, because we have the Holy Spirit working within us, right? That's what this process of being sanctified is. We have the Holy Spirit working within us, keeping us in the faith. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raised it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says, I will raise him up. He will raise us up on the last day. Jesus again, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. No one can take us out of the father's hand. We are in his hand forever. Amen. <laughs> eternal life means eternal life. Eternal life doesn't mean you're okay for a few years and then you lose it and then you gain it back again. 1 Corinthians speaks of it this way. It says that we are waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful. We may have times of, of unfaithfulness where we sin. God never is faith, faithless. He is always faithful. That's really the difference in the new covenant, right? 
The old covenant was a covenant of conditions. You follow the Ten Commandments. You follow the right sacrifices. You follow all the temple practices, the tabernacle practices, and I will dwell in your midst. But if you fail in those, I may send you off to Babylon, which he did, right? He sent them off to Babylon. The new covenant is different, is an unconditional covenant. He makes a covenant with us and we do not have any covenants that we must uphold in order to have salvation. Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is committed to you. He is committed to seeing you through this life on into glory. And he will not give up. <laughs> he cannot fail. He's resurrected. He himself is resurrected. We are tied together with him. His life gives the eternal part to our life. And that bond will never be broken. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He's not going to give up on this. And then my last verse, and there are many others, of course. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren's brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is sometimes called the unbroken chain of God's golden chain of God's salvation. There's no breaks in that, right? Each, each link in that chain is together and it's unbreakable. Those whom he foreknew, he will predestine. Those whom he predestined, he will call. Those whom he called, he will justify. And those whom he justified, he will also glorify. And so is this message even for us at all? And I, say, I would say, yes, it's for us because we have to examine our lives and make sure our faith is what it should be. Those who are truly saved, like most of us in here, hear the warning in these passages, we tremble and we repent. We go on to maturity. So let's talk about the scripture today, those who do fall away or have the appearance that they are going to fall away. Those who fall away, I would say, have never been saved. They can have many amazing experiences, especially within the fellowship of the church. They can go to Christian concerts, enjoy the music, raise their hands, have all kinds of experiences, but they can ultimately and finally be lost. But this talks about some really strong language here. This is what people argue about. A lot of these descriptions of these people sound as though they might be saved, right? So when it says that they have been enlightened, that almost sounds like they're saved, but it really doesn't actually say they're saved, does it? It doesn't say. It just means that they have been enlightened. They have heard and they even understand the gospel. They've heard it. They understand it. They just don't embrace it. They want to be part of the crowd. They may want to be part of a church, 
They want to be part of the fellowship, experience the love in a sense, but there's no commitment there. They can have tasted the heavenly gift is another thing it talks about. They've heard, I'm going to assume that the heavenly gift is Jesus. They've heard of Jesus. They've heard of his testimony of him. Some may have even been eyewitnesses at this time of Jesus. But a lot of people saw Jesus but never really truly accepted him as their Lord and Savior. It says here that these people can have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now we know all believers have the Holy Spirit within them. That is given to them the moment that they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. But can a person without the Spirit share in the Spirit? Well, I think so. I think they can be part of a revival service and see the Holy Spirit working. I think the people during these times saw miracles. They saw gifts of the Spirit given to the people who were part of the church. They seen the love within the church and maybe even desired to have that love, but they truly never received the Holy Spirit or were born again. Goes on and says that they have tasted the goodness of the word of God. They have experienced and seen and fulfilled prophecies of Christ's coming and suffering. Imagine being that person. You've seen the prophecies, you know about the prophecies of the Christ coming. Go to Isaiah 53 and see how the Messiah suffered for our sins and yet reject him. There are Jews today who do this, right? There are Jews today who study the Old Testament. They read Isaiah 53 and they think that's some person other than the Messiah. They don't recognize this is your Messiah. They tasted the powers of the coming age. They've seen the Holy Spirit's power in saving people from their sinful lives and yet they never truly commit themselves to Christ. These persons that we just described, in this section of scripture, they're never referred to as having been born again. They're never referred to as ever having been saved. They're never referred to as ever having a change of heart. They are referred to as those that only bear thorns and thistles, and the land is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Kind of reminds us of John chapter 15, right? We are to bear fruit. We bear fruit. These people never bear fruit. If they persist in this falling away, it shows that they were never saved. Listen to some verses on this side. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people fit right in with the disciples of Jesus Christ. They were doing many of the works that the disciples did. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. You never had a real true relationship with me. 1 John 2:19, which I alluded to earlier, says about these false teachers and false believers that they went out from us, but they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. How much more clear can that be? There are people who sometimes 
come to our church, maybe even become members of our church, participate, but they never were truly saved. And I, I don't say this to denigrate them. I say this, that Satan is crafty and wily and he loves to deceive. He loves us to deceive that salvation can be by our works and our participation and it's not, it's through faith alone. So I've given some verse here, verses here that have supported this, but there's, there's even a better example than these verses here, and that's Judas. Judas. Judas had to have been one who was enlightened. He saw who Jesus Christ was. He lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus every day. I could say that Judas had tasted the heavenly gift. He knew who Jesus was, was able to have food and fellowship with him. He certainly shared in seeing all of the miracles that Jesus performed. He saw the power that Jesus had, but he never was saved, right? We know that from scripture. He never was saved. He never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so these people, instead of accepting Jesus, they agree that Jesus should have been crucified and are happy to disgrace him publicly. That's what it says. They have fallen away from grace. It's impossible to restore to them again repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Their unbelief and they're falling back, they're wavering, going back, giving up the faith is indication that they never had true faith and it's an indication that their belief is that just go ahead and crucify Jesus. Go ahead and crucify him again. Go ahead, holding up, hold him up to contempt. So that leaves us I'm sure there's a lot of other questions. But verse number six is particularly difficult. Because verse number four says it, it's impossible if they fall away to restore them again to repentance. So for those who believe that this means a person can lose their salvation, they probably also must believe that that person can never repent and ever be saved again. I don't think that's what most of Christianity believes. I think scripture tells us that we have multiple opportunities to receive Christ. Even if we back away from Christ, we can still come to Christ. So what is he saying here? I think what he's saying there is that if you think you're going to go back to the old covenant, to the temple, and find repentance there, you're sadly mistaken, you're wrong. You can only go forward, folks. <laughs> we, this group, we're, not, we're talking about Jews, but we're talking about Christians as well. We can only ever go forward in our relationship with Christ. And so the warning is for them and for us, don't fall away. We found out today that true believers in Christ don't finally fall away. They may experience times of doubt. They may even experience weeks or months of being out of church. It's not for us to judge what that time is. 
but they finally will return to Christ. True believers will hear the warnings in the book of Hebrews. And they will take heed of those. They will not continue in their sinful ways. True believers bear fruit. False believers do not bear fruit. So what are we to do today? But I think it's fair to say that we examine ourselves. We examine ourselves as 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. I'm not trying, you know, I don't say this to offend anybody, right? But this is in scripture. <laughs> I'm not judging anyone in here. But this is for all of us. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for your salvation? Not counting on works, not counting on any religious works such as baptism or the Lord's Supper or ministry in the church, but trusting in Christ alone. If you're not sure about that, you can do that today. You can just quietly just bow your head and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died for my sin. And I'm trusting in him for my eternal life. So we need to examine ourselves. Don't remain babies in Christ. It's dangerous. Out of all this thing, I think the thing that I never got from this before that I got this time is that this is closely associated with what we learned last week about staying immature. This warning is a warning against staying immature. Because if you stay immature, when difficult time comes, a little child may not make it through those difficult times. But true believers will go on, become strong in the Lord, and make it through those difficult times. I'm going to close just by reading a verse we've become familiar with because it's in Hebrews. But it's Hebrews 4:16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to look at this difficult section of Scripture and understand what its message is for us. And we can go back and forth about whether it means you can lose your salvation or not. But the message is still the same. Don't go back. Don't leave Christ. Go forward in your relationship with Christ. So I pray that you would help us to do that today. And I pray if there's anyone here today who has a decision to make, whether it's to become a Christian or whether it's to start again on this path of maturity, that they would feel the freedom to go to you in prayer and make that decision and make that commitment to you. And we will rejoice with them when they make that. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.